Friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my shotgun riding, shotgun shooting, co-host and poetry writing love lover. Definitely Alex Dandino. There you go. I think that landed. I'm, I'm yeah, happy with it. That was good. That was nice. I like that. <laughs> All right, guys. As always, if you like the show, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcast app. That does help us out tremendously. Truly. For those of you that have been doing it, we do appreciate it enormously. We thank have seen a solid much. uptick. So thank That's you. That's right. Our numbers are looking good. We're assaulting these charts, which is awesome. Uh, also, you can see our faces uh, along with hear our voices. On our YouTube channel, that's Nerd Alchemist Plural with an S at the end. Uh, working our way to some new content over there. Uh, that'll be the home for that, so stay tuned, guys. Also, find us on your socials. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Everywhere you are, we are, and we want to talk to you. Uh, film Al- at Film Alchemist number one on Twitter is where I mostly hang out. We do a lot over there. Uh, and you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. With your ideas for movies you'd like to hear covered, uh, guest hosts, special features, double features, themes for a month. We've gotten some really good ones from you guys, actually. Uh, our coffers overflow <laughs> with great movie ideas. Lovely. But to that point, what we're working on right now, uh, we decided June, the, bir- the month of my birth, right? A present to me and to you, the listeners. Uh, we were going to do your fan submissions. So we picked our favorite ones, and we're hacking our way through the list right now. There were so many good ones. We tried to ones. like make a ranking, and we're going to get through as many as we can. Uh, but tonight, we are here for Natural Born Killers. Uh, Oliver Stone directed. Quentin Tarantino written. Story Woody Harrelson by. acted. Juliette Lewis acted. Uh, superbly acted. Yes. Alex, when was the last time you had seen Natural Born Killers? <laughs> college maybe you know i was thinking that same thing i was like it had been a long time and just so everyone knows this is from listener friend of the pod and uh a guest we've had on the show before uh carmelita valdez mccoy we adore carmelita you can love carmelita about mommy dearest carrie lose and bliss truly uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite fans of the pod for sure she is the reason. I'm like, Twitter is a pretty horrible, barren wasteland oftentimes. She's but we've met such so many spot. amazing people, and she's absolutely one of my favorites. Uh, so when she gave us a suggestion, I knew that was going to skyrocket up the list. Um, also, I think Natural Born Killers will be a fun conversation because, one, it feels like a movie that is desperately lost in its time, mm-hmm. yet might be more relevant today than even when it was made. Yeah, It feels I- a little bit like Oliver Stone... <laughs> Kind of fell ass backwards into a timeless movie. Well, I think that's kind and of... And I don't think you like it that much. Is that the correct assumption? I don't, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Like, I knew, like, when Carmelita suggested Natural Born Killers, I was like, oh, we're going to have to do this. And, like, again, this isn't a movie that I seek out to watch a lot. Mm-hmm. I understand its merits. Like, it is an Oliver Stone joint, early Oliver Stone, too, like, early 90s Oliver Stone. And this is, like, in the middle of his, like string of like what nine critically successful movies i think Mm. um it's a movie that was originally written by quentin tarantino but apparently was changed so much he only gets story by credit like they literally rewrote this movie 
But well, I I mean this is this is how bad it got. Is I read I read a story somewhere, and I might be getting some details wrong, but apparently, if I'm not mistaken, they met at a hotel or like a lodge mm-hmm. at Sundance Film Festival, and spit flew, and Tarantino came at Oliver Stone with a hatchet. So <laughs> I don't awesome. know exactly how bad this got, and I don't know I don't know the exact uh you know beat for beat. Blow by blow layout, but if it got to that point, <laughs> you have to hope that that is like true. But no matter what, it is a wonderful like movie lore story. That's one of those like great like, you know, uh, fucking you know. That's one of those great like Kirk Douglas throwing his foot down for Tr- Dalton Trumbo to be listed as the writer of Spartacus type deals. Like that's one of those great like Hollywood stories, <laughs> or like, uh, but yeah, I, I mean. <sighs> It's fascinating because, like, the movie itself is absolutely, like, it's one of the first ones that's really a great indictment of the 24-hour news cycle. And this was even before the 24-hour news cycle was, like, a major part of our lives. But also an indictment in general of how we cover tragedy in this country and how we cover what, like, our knowledge base and particularly hyper relevant now our knowledge base is so wide and like the ability for us to have access to information is so much greater that Mm. this movie's relevance is so much like the sensationalism of murder and the sensationalism of violence is really kind of like the point of the movie because again this movie is very in your face and it's right in the middle of oliver stone's like obsession with 40 different types of media in a movie again i just it's to me a very frenetically paced film and the way it's shot doesn't do a lot for me so that's like always been my hang up with watching this movie i have no problem with the story or like the characters or anything like that my problem is with the way this movie is made and directed bothers me a great deal but i I mean, I can see that, right? Because he's Still coming off movie. of, in some order, I can't actually get it to list by years here on Letterboxd. Right. But you've got Wall Street, Platoon, JFK, Born on the Fourth of July, Natural Born Killers is in here, Talk Radio is such an underrated, awesome movie. Oh, my God. Uh, into, so like, underrated. JFK area. Like, he's made a lot of great This was, movie. I in think, the- right before JFK or right after? Yeah, this feels like, like, here's a great example to me of, I get what Oliver Stone wants to say. I don't feel like he is the art house guy no. who's trying to deliver this art house movie that he wants to make. Yeah. I think what, what is nice is you suffer some of the, cause this is what I was saying is that this movie forsakes all subtlety to make a point, <laughs> Yes, which is his point is, is that the news media is this bludgeoning mutagen that is making us all these tremendous monsters. Right. Um, we'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll save that point for a minute, but the opening scene even has one of these things where I was like, it feels like Oliver Stone doesn't even necessarily know why he's cutting to black and white when he is it. Cause like the opening scene, yeah. right? They're ordering pies and Woody Harrelson, you know, he's dressed up as like super Mickey, right? That's what mm-hmm. I call him. Right. There's like the super Mickey, the comic book muscle Mickey, you know, the idealized version of Mickey. Yeah. He's asking for a pie, right? And the way she's like, well, we got key lime pie. And then it cuts to black and white. And she's like, we got key lime. And she's a little more animated. And it, so I'm like, oh, so the cutting to black and white, this is some kind of 
the subtext of what they're saying or what they right. wish they could say, the inner demon released. Within three minutes, in the exact same scene, when we cut to Juliette Lewis, uh, her character, right, uh, Mallory, dancing to the jukebox and fighting the fucking rednecks. Yeah. The black and white is just a visual cut. It's right. it's just showing us exactly what's happening in the real world. Yeah. And that was one of those things to me that I, I just immediately latched on to. is like, why, why do that, right? It feels like this sloppy right. just giving it like more of an art house indie movie vibe. But I think perhaps there's a way to examine that where the fact that it's so disjointed and, you know, sloppy and this and that, I think the movie goes so far out of its way to constantly remind us that this is a movie, right? This is one of those movies that while it is a reflection of us, right. And our society and trying to show us a harsh truth, it's letting you know specifically this is not like one of these, you know, documentary style following two killers around the West, you know, no. seeing their real world. It's showing us a truth through right. complete, well, you know, I mean, there's imagery. so much again. I mean, like the best example of that to me is the is uh, Mallory's backstory, which is shot like a leave it to beaver sitcom. But see it's, that because that works perfect. I think that is one of I, the best scenes i've watched in a long like i right. it works I very that well segment of the movie right it works very well and that's to me like that is oliver stone using the visual medium yes. for a reason that i think is like really specific because if we had seen that imagine that in any other director's hands that's like a shot scene of just grotesquerie and sort of like sadness because to me like that's if, if again, the only way it gets worse is if you have to let. And I mean, they even do it a little bit by filming it with regular film, and you see like the close up on Rodney Dangerfield's eyes and that kind of thing. Like there is that moment that becomes very lecherous and very scary. But through this lens of like leave it to Beaverness, you do get this opportunity to watch a scene that normally in any other movie is the most tragic thing, but because it's sort of peppered with a laugh track and it's Rodney Dangerfield which is a really fascinating choice to me by the way Rodney Dangerfield is absolutely perfect but it's very specific because if you have anyone else like imagine like I thought about it I was like who at like 94 who else would be cast and like to me the other actor I thought of not necessarily 94 but like if imagine if it was like fucking Chris Cooper like Chris Cooper would be like I would have thought someone maybe like Carlin right well, no, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not saying that. I, I, I think the choice of comedian as the father is yeah. smart. What I'm saying is, like, if you do this a straight way, you cast like a Chris Cooper, who's going to be like the saddest, most depressing, like lecherous person. But because it's Rodney Dangerfield, Carlin's another good choice. Like these older actors or these older comedians, because they're those characters specifically, I think that brings sort of this like it washes over the movie itself and provides us this levity so that we don't have to focus on this horrific upbringing that Mallory had. Yeah, see, I actually see that segment very differently in my mind, right? Because one, I think I don't look at it so much as leave it to be because I actually do leave it to beaver shots at the end, right? They'll do this thing at the end, which is really cool, where it's it's like a 1950s TV commercial, watching uh the scenes of the jailbreak right right 
And it is this, like, if only they had known back then the hell that they are bringing into their homes, right? This ticking mutation that's going to infest the family. Right. So the Rodney Dangerfield, to me, struck more as, like, a uh, all-in-the-family or uh, married with children, right? This this thing where we watch these guys say and do these horrible things, right? And we, like, I remember watching All in the Children, or Married with Children, not that long ago, and being like, wow, this is... This is like a fucking hardcore show, right? Especially for the things we see now. Like, I mean, it's just this guy constantly talking shit about everyone, and he's really abusive to everyone. Right. And what it does, though, is it becomes this fucking laugh. And it's like, oh, you know, take the facade away. You know, this is very normalized behavior. I think Oliver Stone is constantly trying to tell us that. Well, and I would imagine this is where him and Tarantino kind of break, is that he's saying... Because this is one of my big questions I had with the movie, right? It feels like Oliver Stone is saying that this TV lifestyle is to blame. I think that scene in the house is very important. Because to you, I don't think it gives any levity or pulls me out of the tragedy. It Rodney Dangerfield is so out of place, he almost hyper-focuses you on how fucking right. horrendous well, everything and levity is. And right, levity is not the right word for it, but I, right, I, right. What, what you're saying is exactly what I'm saying. Like, I'm yeah. not saying leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver is the example of TV. But the point is, is not necessarily the content itself. It's the use of TV, of that, yeah. like, visual aspect of it to me. That's the hyper-focused. Is like, oh, I am watching these horrible, horrible people abuse the shit out of their children, abuse the shit out of their daughter in more ways than one. And... The point of making it sort of like a sitcom setting and a sitcom and putting it in the sitcom arena, I think, is simply to tell a story without having to tell it in a way that because any other way you have to spend an inordinate amount of time with those characters and with that story, with that backstory itself. I think because you tell it in this way, which is. A visual media like TV is 23, 22 minutes with commercials and everything has to happen tightly within that half hour of time you have to make a TV show. So because it's that look, we're already hyper focused on the fact that we're going to get a lot of story very quickly. So if anything, I think Oliver Stone does a really great job of making a movie of making a backstory move so fast that we immediately can go to the Mickey of it all and start like focusing more on that. Because I mean, again, we don't spend all, we spend so much time on Mallory's backstory. I mean, Mickey's flashbacks are all of what, two minutes in the movie. And again, like we get it very quickly. We understand that he had a horrible home life as well. A broken home, terrible place to live, like so on and so forth. But again, we only spend like two minutes with him. It's Mallory's story that we're more hyper-focused on because I think in some ways, Oliver Stone's trying to say that Mallory is almost at the start. He almost tries to paint her as nearly blameless. Like, look at this horrible person. Look at this person's horrible life. Why wouldn't she turn to a life of crime or someone who's exciting or someone who's going to provide her with some version of stability because she didn't even have that at home. Granted, almost completely dismantles like within 30 seconds after the after the TV after the whole sitcom bit is over but i think ultimately Oliver Stone's trying to tell us all that yes you need to understand this one particularly this backstory particularly is most important because with use of the television look we're going to tell you that TV informs everything 
TV informs everything that happens in the story. And I think actually that's the rub that throws Quentin Tarantino's story out the window. Cause from what I understand, Quentin Tarantino wrote a story about a couple that just goes on a murder spree, which would make sense given the Quentin Tarantino rarely enters the political arena or anything about the public conversation about mass murder, violence, anything like that. If anything, he's normally the focus of it without realizing it. So I think this is purely Oliver Stone trying to refocus the movie and refocus the story itself on how culpable mass media and the news themselves are uh, for sensationalizing Mickey and Mallory's uh, story itself. Right. And to that point, I think that's the weirdest part about I love this scene, right? Because yeah, totally. it, is, it is something that so many of us struggle with watching and so many filmmakers struggle how do you get across the truth and the horror and the trauma of, you know, people being victimized by these moments, right? Especially kids. And I think this is a really clever way to say, hey, this is the kind of shit that while we're all having laughs, right? Having this horrible fucking patriarch of, you know, a dad and this and that. and Because they do that, too. They'll cut away to the black and white again and really focus so close on Mallory's sadness and the dad's fucking disgusting creep mouth he's like go wash yourself go and it's yeah. just repulsive right and then they cut us back to the laugh track and you know smacking his wife around and it's it is this this magnifying effect on all of the whore but in this scene is where i kind of find one of my my issues with the movie as i've gotten older is one i don't think mallory's a natural born killer Right. She I don't seems either. Like a girl who could have been OK. Right. Mickey seems a little more predisposed to oh, to steal a car and whatever. Right. You know, and we see that he was traumatized a lot earlier. So it feels like we're saying that Mallory and Mickey are these monstrous creations. Right. But here's the problem I see is that. After this, the rest of the movie, Oliver Stone does this thing where there's rear projecting on every window, every back wall when sex and depravity and murder is happening right yeah what i learned from the backstory of these two characters is that it does not fucking seem like it's tv's fault no right? i think that it seems like it's parents victimizing their children and being right. pieces of shit that are I mean, to blame i think not only... the fucking tv show world that we're in right well i mean i think that it only becomes again after you watch the movie is when you can kind of inform like form this opinion because to me the blame that lays at the feet of news, television, current affair, all that shit. Because that's really kind of like what they're getting at is like a current affair and that kind of stuff. Particularly with Robert Downey Jr.'s character and his TV show. Like only till you're at the end of the movie can you squarely blame that kind of sensationalism. It's not until the end of the movie that you really realize that the point of the that entire scene, which again, I think it's probably the best scene in the movie in my opinion oh yeah it's it's not even close honestly yeah like that to me, to me. is that that to me is the genius of oliver stone and again i'm saying this and i don't even like this movie is the genius of oliver <laughs> stone is you finish that part you finish this entire movie and then you think back on that part and you realize from the jump of this film without even knowing you've been informed that tv is bad tv is evil tv is the cause of these monsters to be out on the road and so on and so forth but it's not them being on tv it's the tv it's the tv coming to them it's a fascinating thing because it's not about like so often like 
you know, when we were growing up and we think we talked about this recently uh, with Scream 3 was that, mm. uh, you know, oh, wait, not recently with Scream 3. <laughs> we're, we're recording cycle. our October specials yeah. right now. So, yeah. But we talked about how when we were growing up, Columbine was the thing that really shook us to our core, particularly not just because of the awful atrocities that occurred, but mainly because the initial reaction after was it's music and violent movies that has caused this. It's like sickness in children. So yeah. immediately we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense because I watch those movies and I listen to that music and I don't want to murder anybody. Like that's just that's somebody's brain chemistry. That's something else. And right. That's something but else. Th else this within is my that. exact point, though, is that I think what you're saying is that the TV came to them, right? That that might be the way. But this is having seen natural born killers and movies way fucking worse and more vile and having been subjected to news for so long. Right. I can honestly say I'm just fine. <laughs> like maybe I'm less informed than I need to be, but I'm not like a giant threat to society. I'm not running around on like a, a murder orgy across the desert. Yeah, I like to so, think I'm not. Right. So I, I had to square it in my mind because, again, maybe I think what they're saying is that because we see Rodney Dangerfield watching wrestling, right? This aggressive display of masculinity when he's kind of this dumpy old fuck, you know, doing these horrible things that perhaps what they're saying is that TV had already done the damage by the time we start. And that by crumbling that family in the leave it to beaver reality of the 50s, which, again, I don't think is a real thing we should celebrate either. I think that's just fucking nonsense too. No. But I think maybe they're saying that Rodney Dangerfield's group was already ruined and thus they're ruining the children. And that and that that's the weird thing too is that Mallory and Mickey feel like they were going to do this journey despite the news coverage, right? Yeah. The news coverage may have been something that they then began to play with, right? Sure. Cuz we do get the, you know, uh, even in the first scene where it's like, we have to leave this, you know, neck beard alive because someone has to tell the tale. <laughs> right. And so they, they by that point, they are cognizant. But we don't know how. I mean, they talk about by the time we first hear, uh, you know, Wayne, whatever his fucking name is. Um, they've already killed 40 some people. Mm -hmm. Right. And how long was it until the media started catching up? So, again, it's he's blaming the media. But they're already doing all this stuff. He's blaming right. TV, but that's not what caught. So it, that, this is where it just feels disconnected. Because I don't know that any yeah. viewer would make the case that the way that our news exists is not the most helpful, best version it could be. No one's right. going to make that case. No one's going to make the case that, yeah, young kids should be watching horrendous stuff on TV. You know, just have free access. No one's going to make those arguments. My question to myself at the end was, did Oliver Stone make them in an interesting and insightful way? And I mean, there are there are scenes, perhaps, but I feel like the overall thread of this is kind of a societal ill, right? This this mutagen of the masses. I don't think that comes through. But my no. case to you as to why I don't think that's bad and why I do love the movie is because the actors in this movie are so fucking outstanding. That even yes. if it's a little sloppy and it's a little in your face, which is, you know, obviously the point, I would watch this cast and these characters specifically do any fucking story for three hours. Like, sure. I fucking love every character in this movie. And it's just a it's a fun journey. Yeah, I mean, I think that every actor is perfectly cast in this movie. There's not a single 
there's not a single thing performance wise I would ever take back. Like I think all of them are awesome. The fact that Robert Downey Jr. was able to get Oliver Stone to agree to let him do this whole thing in an Australian accent is pretty amazing. So yeah, that seemed like a weird flex. I was like, I don't. Apparently, understand. apparently he had watched like a news program with some guy who was just <laughs> like this guy and begged to be able to do this in an Australian accent. I'm like, whatever. I mean, it's Robert Downey Jr. And at that you point, know what I, though? Honestly, that is. Wayne's journey is probably the one that most matches up with what Oliver Stone wants us to take away. Yeah, I mean, is that well, he's a man who comes over here and picks that, the bones of tragedy, well, this and then the, in the end is completely consumed by it. Right, and this is the thing that kind of this is the part that I don't necessarily like, like about the movie because you're right, the performances are amazing. Besides the visual style, which just doesn't really vibe with me, particularly just for this time. Like, I've watched many Oliver Stone movies and he does this with multi he does multimedia filming all the time. Like it doesn't necessarily bother me. Like in any given Sunday is a great example that he does where he does this, but like Robert Downey Jr.'s character and the general vibe, like they don't show up until much later in the movie. And to me, and again, this is a long movie. <laughs> Just I, again, I, I we've talked about it on this show. Like movies don't really need to be more than 90 minutes. This one really doesn't need to be more than 90 minutes. Like <laughs> That's it, our personal picadillo, though. <laughs> like, it really doesn't need to be more than 90 minutes long. But this movie particularly feels also like two halves of a whole because we spend a lot of time following Mickey and Mallory around. And we spend a lot of time learning their story, learning about their love or whatever it is, their feelings towards each other, even though like it feels like Mickey is constantly trying to get Mallory to just do a threesome, like constantly i don't care like oh mick mickey like, has been laying pipe the whole time yeah like, like mickey is he keeps he keeps calling them hostages right yeah so mickey's like trying to polygamize this entire relationship <laughs> which is again a really fascinating thing when you think about it for mallory and this thing we were talking about earlier where she's not necessarily she's not necessarily uh full of blame like i would say there's part there's a natural of, born killer right? i would say she she's not a natural born just killer. swinging knives around right i mean well, that, to me, that actually leads me to one of my favorite things about the film right is that what i really love about this movie is that i think juliette lewis and woody harrelson just are absolute it's like one of those lightning in a bottle things that you hear about they are so perfectly cast and their chemistry is enormous but the thing that I really love about the Mickey and Mallory journey is this this kind of weird code of honor amongst thieves that they have. Mm-hmm. Like like Mickey having the audacity to be mad that she's not wearing a ring when clearly he's been fucking other people, right? Yeah. Clearly they're murderers. Clearly they're cheats. Uh, you know, they're cop kill. They've done all kinds of horrendous crimes. Right. And he's fucking other women. But he's really mad when she takes off the ring, right? Yeah. Like those moments to me matter a lot. And I think that's what is great about this movie, right? right? Like the Ooh. scene that really jumped out to me on this viewing that I absolutely loved is when uh, Mallory's angry, right? You know, do you still think I'm attractive? Blah, blah, blah. Woody, Woody's doing his Woody thing and he's going to go out, and, you know, find a lady probably. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the body shop. And as the guy is walking into her, right, we start to get this, like, green fan. Like, there's a lot of greens and reds and blacks and white, right? Yeah. We get this green fantasy, right? And green is kind of a calmer color than the others we see. 
And when she, when the guy is approaching her, she imagines made for TV Mickey, right? He's got like the Leon outfit on, right? Yeah, yeah. The professional. And that's who she's imagining as this guy comes up. And then it cuts to the sad reality of this guy trying to just kind of get it while he can with this woman he's seen on TV. And that reality crumbling around her moment in seeing her have to run back to Mickey. And then we see them kind of bonding again. Like that, that the weird ups and downs of this horrible relationship with these horrible people, but they still see it is this kind of island from, you know, the horrors of the world. Yeah. I, I found that endlessly fascinating on this viewing. I mean, yeah, that's what makes that's what makes Mickey and Mallory watchable characters. Because otherwise yeah. they're just murdering psychopaths and I think that gets bored after that gets kind of boring after like the fifth yeah. person you've seen them murder on screen. I think I mean, th- this is the thing, though. Let me ask you this, right? Because there are a couple moments I'll have you react to where I'm like, I don't – I feel like this movie, as I've gotten – I remember seeing this in college, and it just, like, vibed with me. I was like, yeah, woo! You know, it's like this and Fight Club. There's, like, a whole era of, like, yeah. these young adolescent that men movies. Fight Club, Boondock Saints, everyone had that poster. Oh, up. yeah, where you're like, this fucking speaks to me, man. Fucking burn it down, do push-ups, punch people. Woo! You know what I mean? Drive around and have sex on whatever furniture you want. You know, now that I'm a married guy, that part still is appealing. But there there are weird moments where I do wonder if there's a version of this movie, right, where maybe we never see Mickey and Mallory except for these hyper-sensationalized media versions. Yeah. Right? Because I think there's – Scagnetti feels like a really weird shoehorned-in character that I love. Yeah. But – him being in the story just feels extra, and I don't know that it's making an enormous point that we need. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones playing Harvey Dent again, you know, was awesome. It was but, great. you know, again, not like an enormous point. Like, we get it. Police also can be not good guys. Right. Um, you know. Trust me, we know. That has never gone away. You know, but <laughs> it, it's just one of those, like, you know, I'm trying to get I, – I wonder if there's a way – where Wayne becomes our main protagonist and he's hunting down and editing and creating this mythical version of these characters. I I, and I wonder if that makes that ending a little better. Well, I 100% agree with you that this movie it's fascinating because this movie's made this way. And again, it's lasted as long as it has because it is a good movie, but I agree with you. And personally, I think it's a better movie by, telling this story through the lens of Wayne's character. Like Wayne is the story we're supposed to be like focusing in on. Like if Oliver Stone's thesis is to blame the media for us sensationalizing murder, not only sensationally, but desensitizing and normalizing violence in the media, then Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who is this frenetic, psychotic, like Geraldo Rivera type individual that's like the whole point of the movie itself. So the fact that he comes in, in my opinion, way too late in the movie. Like, I know he comes in early enough, but it is not. It, this should have started with what you're talking about. Like, I think about like those actors who they have pretending to be Mallory and Mickey, like the hit for his show. That's how this movie should begin. 
not, that scene was really fun. I like it's that fucking part. blast. And that's like that to me is how this should begin. And like we, <laughs> in my opinion, this movie works so much better if we actually don't meet Mallory and Mickey until prison interviews. That to me, yeah, I, I wondered that myself. Almost again, more it, brutal. Yeah, it feels like the whole point is, and I I guess there's a way you can look at this movie where because every time we see them. Other than the bridge, right, where they get married, the bridge is pretty earnest, but almost too much so, right, where it feels very soapy. Well, I think there that's kind of what's interesting about this, it's interesting you brought we never up the have ring. seen them. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, right? There's a way to look at every scene we see with Mickey and Mallory, this this weird creed of the, you know, the outlaw code they're following, all this stuff. There's a way to look at this where everything we do see about them is false narrative anyways, Right. And it is this hyper realized version of these two individuals. Totally. So maybe, maybe Oliver Stone thinks that that's what he was doing already. Very well right? could but, be. I but mean, to me, it just felt because that's the thing they play it. That I love the the earnestness of how they're showing their love, and that clearly, like I grew up, I love like Unsolved Mysteries was like family watching for us every week, and so like I love those kind of shows, and they never showed people being earnest on those shows. So it feels like that's not, we're not watching Wayne's TV show version of them a lot, you know, but there, yeah. there is that moment too. So maybe I don't know if that is better because I love the scene when Woody Harrelson sees himself on TV at the pharmacy and gets a little chuckle out of it as yeah. he's dying from rattlesnake venom. And he's about to shoot this overweight pharmacist. I was like, that's just awesome that he's seeing himself and thinks that it's, you know, a hoot. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I I can see a world in which that works. And I think that functions really well. If you if you watch the movie, assuming that this is part of the show, I think that works really well. And again, I mean, obviously, from a like filmmaking standpoint, the reason you don't do what we're suggesting is because you have Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis who are playing off each other like bandits, literally. So right. there's no reason to not use them in every fucking scene you can. I just think I wonder but if the my impact, theory is I wonder oh, if sorry, the impact ahead. of the I wonder if the impact of the story is lessened because we've been with them the entire time. So when we get to this big third act with the jailbreak and all this crazy shit that goes down, I almost feel like it's a little bit less impactful because we've seen them do crazy shit the entire time. So I know they're capable of it. I think that's the thing that maybe that's what I've always been missing is that I know they're capable of breaking out of prison because I've seen them do insane shit this entire movie. Mm -hmm. So rather than seeing these weird avatars on television of like weird, bad, unsolved mystery actors doing crazy shit, I finally get to see the real thing. I've already seen them do the real thing over and yeah. over again. So it's almost like we are becoming desensitized to their capabilities themselves. Yeah, and, and it definitely is a movie that wants us to be desensitized and wants to rev us up where we're praying for them to do brutality. Right. Because then when the movie ends, we have to be like, oh, that's weird. Like, I shouldn't like that as much. Right. But, like, like here's an example. The opening scene, right? It's the second movie this month. I We, we watched Darkman with the Wilson brothers, and I was like, I don't know that I've ever seen bullet POV of it flying through a brain. That's cool. This movie has that in the opening scene as well. <laughs> So that opening scene plays exactly like some kind of trashy Lifetime movie version totally. of these characters. 
right? Scagnetti plays exactly like one of those characters. Right. Um, you know, even that scene when they're running around getting the Rattler poison and all that, or the, the anti-venom, and Scagnetti's out there with the cops and the the foreign film crew's out there like, you know, Mickey looks virile. He has a giant gun, which is amazing, right? Even those moments don't they, – they all play like the Lifetime movie, right? I would just argue – and they do that so well. And you can do that with Mickey and Mallory, right? The, the bridge scene is maybe a bit earnest. But them talking while they're taking pisses yeah. simultaneously, and he's like, that's poetry. I was like, I love that scene because it's these people on this cosmic journey just take literally taking the piss out of the scene. And I was like, so there's a way that that works. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I feel the movie is slightly disjointed here and there. Sure. But again, like, like even I would argue Tommy Lee Jones character has no value to this movie. Other no. than he is fun as shit to watch on yeah. the screen. Like, he I has mean, no narrative it. function. No, that's but really... he's amazing. So, I, I mean, that that's what that's I think it, this though. movie does well. Right. Again, like, my picadillos with the movie itself are strictly with my preference for style and filmmaking. There's no way I could ever take away that this movie is a great critique on mass media. It's a great story with great <laughs> you just characters. made us sound like film Twitter. You know, no, that's cool down there with you plebs. I just prefer art. <laughs> no, this is art. Again, it's one of those things. No, where, I agree. But I, this is a, I know where your heart is. I'm just saying it sounded like one of those funny. Oh, sure. No, no I'm glad all you losers like this. I just no. It sounds the better. The no, better. No, I, I get film. it. It sounds shockingly <laughs> douchey, but like. Again, this is all based on preference. Like I, no, I get you have a preference. Like Oliver Stone's not one of my favorite filmmakers, but I also know that I've watched a lot of Oliver Stone movies. So clearly, yeah. I have no problem watching Oliver Stone movies, anyways. So what's I would even say the point? This. Oliver is almost always interesting, though. Yes, he always like, makes an interesting movie, movie right? no matter I, what. Yeah, I agree with you. This movie feels a little disjointed. Our lens feels off, but again, it kind of fits this chaotic vibe. Like. When Definitely. I watch this, I remember what it was like to be a teenage boy watching this. And the thing oh. that was st startling to me is back then it made perfect sense and was streamlined. Right. And I think that's what the movie is somewhat reminding us, too, is that when we are younger and impressionable and we see all these horrors of the system, which, again, this feels very prevalent to today. Right. Very much. So. I mean. You're literally one or two extra scenes. Like if you did a director's cut of this movie where you saw, uh, you know, Mallory posing with a dead body with like bunny ears on Snapchat, yeah. you know, them like doing one of the hostages in a hotel on a live story right. on Instagram. This is the exact same movie and it fits perfectly. To I me. mean, this is the one movie I'd say that's been made in the last like this is the one like classic film that I would say. If you updated it, like let's say some asshole decided to remake this movie, I actually probably wouldn't have a problem with it as long as it was made well. Because honestly, like you can update this for relevance to today. And I mean, it's relevant from 94. If you just update it 20 years, it's still going to be relevant. Like that, I, I think will, is that I, I think is the power shenanigans of shenanigans on that because I truly do not think you can re. I, I would honest to God. Even though I've said I think it's a little off kilter at times, I think this is on the unremakeable list. No. I think if you make a movie where it's more of a streamlined narrative and you take out all of the insanity, 
right? And you take out those actors. Right. But I mean, and then you have this new crew trying to like do a Tom Sizemore character. I I don't think you could remake this movie successfully. I think there are other versions of this movie. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like we already talked about the other version of this movie you could make. Like, I'm not saying you remake this movie shot for shot where this isn't Gus Van Zandt making psycho. What I'm saying is you can take the very (laughs) core narratives of this movie <laughs> this the is the only co- guy who gets to remake it is Tarantino. You would pay for that. I would. Oh, pay totally. For that. But like again, Tarantino would make a completely different movie that has like nothing to do with this. If well, you take, I'm the saying core- though, riddle me this though. You don't love it as much, right? Would you rather watch this version? Do you think this version's more interesting, or Mickey and Mallory just talking about their favorite episode of Green Acres while they hack up a body? I, I don't disagree that. Quentin Tarantino's version of this movie might be a little more um, off. (laughs) You know why I'm chopping your kneecap off? Because in season three, episode five of Kung Fu. Sure. I mean, look, there's a version of this. There's a version of this movie that like Quentin Tarantino apparently tried to make this and like unsuccessfully was able like unsuccessfully directed it for like 500 grand. I would kill to see that movie. But. I also know that it would be about as interesting as the hateful eight shots fired. I did not like the hateful eight. So there you go. Well, I'm just, we saw true romance. Right. And if you, if you put a gun to my head, which movie do I like more in which would I probably watch going forward more often? I like natural born killers better, right? There, there is a, a freneticness to it. I like, I think true romance is awesome, sure. but, but that felt I, like, that is but it, felt like more the movie Tarantino wishes this was. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I'd say as far as remakeability, what I mean is not I would not remake this movie. I would take the core fe- the core themes of this film, which are pretty universal and pretty easily molded to a to a um to a more whatever context you want to put them in. Mm-hmm. And you take those themes, you take those characters. You don't necessarily do this movie because honestly, this is again it's Oliver Stone, Woody Harrelson, and Juliette Lewis. Like you can't undo those flavors, but what you yeah. do is you take those themes, modernize them a little bit, and you know, obviously now there's even more media than there was back then. So, if anything, this movie is hyper relevant right now. If you remake this, it becomes probably a little more difficult to watch because there's so much information to like filter through, mm-hmm. but. It's very the themes themselves are very remakeable. Yeah, well, I mean, I think people will make movies that tackle this issue, right? We've seen a lot of these we already do. social media driven killers and this and that. Yep. I think what I what I really love about this one is, you know, and even I agree with you, the third act in the prison to me has a lot of great stuff. I don't think it's wildly because again, it, it feels like I kind of know how we're doing it right but again they always find these little great like just wayne and woody going at it right like Mm -hmm. robert downey and woody you're like yeah fuck yeah yeah tommy lee jones and skagnetti right skagnetti in the cell like there's just awesome shit in every scene and again is it all streamlined and focused no and and that'll always be my thing with the movie but what i think happens is that that prison scene and the way Tommy Lee Jones is playing it and the way they're cutting to his like <laughs> his little chortles and, you know, all of this. You're like, none of that is how it really happened. Absolutely no. none of that. Well, the prison think- riot itself is bananas. You're like, yeah, this is now the, you know, lifetime movie of the Wayne story. 
Right. So I, I think those little extra layers of just insanity that I think me and you when watching this time were like, oh, that feels like Oliver Stone just being very sloppy with his, you know, stroke. Right. And I mean, I think the I think other it, thing. It, it, in a way, shields it for time to come. Sure. I think that's the other thing that when I like, because I took a couple of days with it and I realize now maybe the disjointedness that I feel and the thing that I don't like about it is not necessarily a bad thing. And here's why yeah. is mainly because the point of this movie is that absolutely no one in it is telling the truth. There is no one in this movie yeah. at a single moment that has told the fucking truth. So this movie is filled with unreliable narrators and particularly and chiefly the camera being the most unreliable narrator. I have no idea what I'm seeing is true or not true. So yeah. that disjointedness is a great thematic choice because that's the entire point that Oliver Stone's trying to make, especially by the end of the movie, which is that there is no truth. There is the version of the truth. It's what we've seen in the media for the last, you know, four years, which is, it's an alternate fact. It's an alternate truth. It's an alternate reality right. that these people live in as opposed to what the general populace lives in. For me, this came out in 94, so I was living in Silver Spring, Maryland. So I'm living in Silver Spring, Maryland and watching this whole, all this shit go down in Texas, for instance. So you imagine this. I don't know what's true. I don't live there. That's not something I'm necessarily informed of. All I know is what's true is what's outside my street. So... To me personally, the more I sat with it, the better the unreliable narrator concept, particularly right. of the camera, works and actually engages me in the story in a way that I hadn't been engaged with, particularly the first time I watched it. So, yeah. Well, like a great I example like of that, right, is Mickey escaping prison the first time. So we right. see Mickey in a sandstorm. We see this cartoonish tornado in the distance. Oh, my but God. That's real. Yeah. And then as he's escaping and they're following him on a horse, the fact they're not unloading shotguns straight up, right? All right, whatever. But when they cut to the rattlesnake nipping at the horse, it's red. Yeah. And I was like, is that supposed to be the devil himself is helping it? You know? And it's like, it just felt like, why is the tornado shown as real when we know it? That That's what, this is what I think, right? If you had just shown me a tornado creates a dust storm and he fucking rides off like he's Wile E. Coyote, you're like, yeah, that, I oh, get yeah. it. Like that's unreliable narration period. It's the the extra stuff. And like I was really watching it when I watched it again. I watched it twice actually. When I was watching it again, I was trying to watch the background images in the hotel, like when Scagnetti mm -hmm. chokes the hooker. Yeah. And when Mallory and it just felt like someone literally just flipped the channels and it's like, here's animals killing each other. Right. And I you're mean, like, Are you saying that contributes to the downfall? Animals fucking on TV. And you're like is that a bad image we're not supposed right. to see? Because I think that stuff doesn't work. But then splash cutting Mickey's interview with uh, the Coca-Cola bear yeah. works wildly well. It does. You know? I mean, it's the and same so thing like with the scene where um, the shaman, where they're doing like the scene with the yeah. um, the Native American guy who's trying to like pull the demons out of them. This is another great example of like, there's no way this like – this almost assuredly did not happen. What they probably did was they yeah. showed up and blew this guy away and then ran off into the rattlesnake desert like that. Well, it's the, it's the weird one because one, it's like Oliver Stone. I get it. You've like YouTube some history. Like, come on, dude. 
Like, I, I get it. Like, you know, why do we have to just, you know, hey, make sure we get another American atrocity in here. And that's fine. That's cool. It's fine. It felt just added in, but that is the weird. I I feel like the movie. I was kept wondering, like, why are they worried about killing this guy? Yeah, that's the like, one. Why that was it Mallory that guy? Kind of and they out tried about. to say, oh, he was trying to help us, right? And you're like, by what? Getting you stoned as fuck? Like that? That scene felt a little. I, I feel like it was just Oliver Stone's. Like, I want to talk about what we did to Native Americans. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. In the but middle I also of my media that... is the worst movie. <laughs> I mean, there's that, but I also think Oliver Stone's trying to tell us, well, the story, the movie itself is trying to tell us that there's a fairly decent chance this didn't happen. Like, almost near certainty that this didn't happen. And if it did, it so didn't happen this way that you have, what you have to do is trust the entertainment value you have. And that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is if you're going to show me, like, if you show me a Christopher Nolan scene and a scene from like, I don't know, like a Christopher Nolan scene of uh, Batman and the Joker talking, and then you show me the same scene in the Batman 66 version, you know, I'm honestly going to probably watch the Batman 66 version because it's visually way more entertaining. <laughs> Hot trick. No. You know what uh, I mean? Absolute Again, my mark. eyes are drawn no, get, to, you. you know, all of our eyes are drawn yes. to more colors. So immediately I'm going to like look over towards... Yeah what's shiny and new and weird about this. Like that I think is the most important part about the unreliable narrator theory within this movie is that he's constantly with this frenetic thing that, you know, obviously fucks with me and it doesn't really work for me in a lot of ways, but maybe it does. And that's the whole point. Me not thinking it works might be the entire point of me not liking it is that I yeah. want the truth. I'm searching for the truth, and I'm not going to get it through you this entire movie. You don't want it to be true, man. You don't want it to be true. It's pr- exactly. Yeah. But that's another great point. I don't. Who wants to? Who wants it to be true that this, these two people killed 50 people? That's horrible. So you have to address those Depends atrocities are, by, living with that, by living with the fantasy that there's a good chance this actually happened this way. Or didn't. Yeah, I think there's two, there's two for sure moments that are supposed to clue us in as an audience. Or I would say three, right? So Wayne in the prison, heroically fighting, that's my camera. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're letting us know, like, the camera's the boat and this is not real fine. Right. Uh, The other scene was, so there's a moment where they're fighting their way out of the prison, right? They've kind of did the, like, you can't, you're on live TV. And Tommy Lee Jones is just sitting there, what kind of Texas prison guard wouldn't want to blow fucking Mickey and Mallory away on TV? Right. You would be elected to Senate immediately, <laughs> right? So there is this, the media is holding them hostage, but a really cool small scene in that, a small moment, right? There's one cameraman who's kind of walking around, and the POV was getting a little wonky, I realized. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where Juliet Lewis turns around and says, get back, and she's not talking to the camera if I read it right, she's talking to us, the audience. Yeah. Right? We're fucking well, getting in now. Right. So that's like the bleed. There's all these moments of untruth, but the one that really sank it for me was Wayne Gale being heroic in death and doing the pose, right? The Jesus pose. Right. I was like, not a chance in hell. Like, we all know that guy, and he would have been on his knees groveling. Anything, anything. He's not going to have this, like, moment of, strength and resolution right. like i'm glad to be on the back of the a block on abc news tonight and gets wasted that was when the movie's telling you right 
this you cannot trust it because it is media right well and i think that's again i i truly love that moment where she grabs the lens and pushes the film camera away like the scene in which we're filming and watching right now is untrue that's the thing i love the most that's what i love the most is like that it's it's like the most odd fourth wall break I've ever seen yeah. in a movie. And it works so well simply because within the context of this film, you have no idea which camera is telling you the truth. So yeah. to me, but that one, it's not even a camera. You can see the cameraman in the back while she pushes, get back. If I'm not mistaken. No, and she I was like, that's really she, fucking. That's cool, the man. whole thing. Like she's pushing, she's pushing the film camera. She's pushing she push the, us, she's baby. pushing yeah. the audience POV back. So now she's addressing yeah, us that. particularly. Yeah, but again, this to wrap this up, right, is like that's what I think what the movie does again. I think it's like, you know, just throwing in the the genocide of the Native Americans that we perpetrated (laughs) on them. I was like, I get it. But why is that Mickey and Mallory's responsibility? And why is that TV's responsibility? Uh, Maybe he's saying like, hey, there's horrible shit that we're not learning about because of Mickey's and Mallory's and their beetle like, you know, appeal. Sure. And I, but I think that's the thing, right? The characters are wild and fun. They have that kind of recreating true crime vibe that we like, while none of the crimes seem very real at all. Right. And I, again, I think this, this movie could have been called natural born boomers, right? Like, you know, it's just like, we hate TV and we hate youngins and we hate, like, I get it. Yeah. But the sloppiness and the, the awesomely wild performances and it just all kind of congeals for me. Right. And it, it reminded me of the scene when Woody's getting taken into the courtroom and uh, you know, as Mickey, he just goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. And all the girls are like, yeah, that that's kind of how we feel when we turn on natural born killers. Right. True. Is you're like, it doesn't matter as much that, you know, it's like this opus magnum where every little stylistic choice works. It creates this fucking wildly violent wonderland. Yeah. That, you know, we just had the tea party with, you know, all these fucking crazy, empty stereotypes of characters. And it it really works for me. I don't know. I, I've always thought this movie worked not as much. I, I was like looking back. I was like, what kind of little monster was young, like 18 year old Josh Griffey? Well, like, like this was like a roadmap. I was like, this is how it should be, man. This is fucking how it should be. <laughs> I I think this movie works when you unpack all of its narrative value. I personally yeah. still don't like some of the aspects of the filmmaking style that Oliver Stone employs here. But again, How it's not like I'm not coming. used to Oliver Stone making movies like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me put it this way. Oliver Stone in real life decision making is way harder to accept yeah, often than absolutely movie making. i'll give you that 100 uh, times i'll give you that yeah. every day and twice on sunday <laughs> i don't understand oliver stone in general so the fact that i can gather any semblance <laughs> of theme from his movies is pretty fascinating yeah and of all his movies this feels like the one that's made for me and not my uncle so i i appreciate that you yeah. know it's, it's not a three hour uh, it's not a three this, hour who done it about jfk yeah yeah right carmelita is actually i'm friends with her on letterboxd she gave this movie a perfect five out of five. So I would say I'm closer to Carmelita than you. I Man, I was so glad to rewatch this. I really was. It had been a long time. That's it, guys, for Natural Born Killers. Uh, I hope you liked it as much as I did and Carmelita did. As always, please take a second. I liked it, too. Fuck you. 
How dare you? <laughs> Don't interrupt me. I'm going to be like that commercial of the Native American who cries when people litter upon his, his land. That's me when I'm doing my outros. And you just throw verbiage at me. Uh, leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts app. Follow the YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, Nerd Alchemist, that's plural with an S at the end, on YouTube. Find us on all your social medias. Let us know uh, stuff you want to hear talked about. We'll do that. And email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. So that was Natural Born Killers. The next up on the uh, fan selection, The Skin I Live In, which will be tomorrow. So uh, tune in for that. This has been a great jaunt through Listener Picks Month. We appreciate all the help with that, guys. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino.